Okay, I'm going to do something a little different here this morning. I'm going to ask for some audience participation, and I'm going to invite some people up. So try to respond quickly if you can so that this doesn't uh, take up too much time. But the greatest generation, those were those born between 1901 and 1924. All right, anyone here from the greatest generation born between 1901 and 1924? Anybody? All right, I thought we might miss that one, but I think we can get the rest. The silent generation, or known as the lucky few, born between 1925 and 1942. Can one person from that generation come up here and stand? All right, Merle's going to brave it. You just come up here. The baby boomers, they were born in 1940s through the early 1960s. This was a large number of people. Early 19... Uh, or 1940s to early 1960s. Who's, who's part of that? All right, Ron, come up here. Thank you. You just stand here beside me, then you stand next there, Ron. Okay, Generation X, born in early 1960s through early 1980s. Who can come from that generation? Oh, yeah. Come on. Merle responded faster. Come on. All right. There you go, bro. All right. Millennials, this is gener or Generation Y, born in early 1980s through early 2000s. This is the largest generation in history. Early 2000s. All right. Okay. We got one from the Millennials. And this is Generation Z, the mid-2000s to the present day. We guys, All right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Come up. You stand over here in line, in line. So we've got the, the greatest generation, which is definitely, uh, they would be on the much older side, the silent generation, the baby, baby boomers, Generation X, and the millennials, and then Generation Z. Now, up here, there is a generation, a very, very important generation that is not represented up here. They're not here. So, Christina, if you would come up and stand at the end. All right, we have all these generations, and this is wonderful to see at Jerusalem Church, a mix of the generations. And we do actually have the greatest generation in our church as well. So how many generations is that? You, you do the math. But Christina is carrying a part of the next generation. Okay? They are in, you guys can sit down. Thank you. They're an extremely, extremely important generation. And I want to ask you a question. What are we doing now to make a spiritual difference in the next generation? What are we doing now to make a, a difference, a lasting spiritual difference in the lives of the children that aren't born yet, the next generation? We have to be thinking about the next generation, uh, how we're going to make a difference. And I want to help you make a positive difference, uh, a spiritual difference, 125 years after you're dead. That's what I'm aiming to do, to somehow encourage you to get on a trajectory to make a difference 125 years after you're dead. You're still making a difference. And I want Psalm 78 to inspire you. Psalm 78 is a song about really God's awesomeness, and about Israel's rebelliousness. Asaph, the songwriter, cared a lot about the coming generations, and so he wrote this song 
uh, to call God's people to action, to respond. And he pleaded with them to teach the coming nation or the coming uh, generation about God. He pleaded with them to do that. He wanted to inspire God's people to reach generations, not to think about just themselves, but to think about generations and the impact they can have. So we're only going to look at Psalm 78, 1 through 8. So if you have your Bible, you can open it up to there. And uh, these are persuasive and helpful verses. I read a, a statistic this week from Lifeway Research that said, quote, 82% of Protestant pastors agree with the statement, I am concerned that the emerging generation of children, teens, and young adults is not embracing the Christian faith to the same degree as their parents. That's interesting. To put it more directly, many young people today are more impressed with the world then they're impressed with the glory of God. And it's killing them. It's killing their joy. Well, it's very concerning. And of course, there are, there are many, many reasons why many young people are not mesmerized by the glory and beauty of God. But I want to mention what I believe to be one of the biggest reasons. And I want you to test this against Scripture, and I want you to test this against your personal experience in life. I believe one of the main reasons why many children, teens, and young adults today are not enthralled with the glory and beauty of God and committed to the Christian faith is that their parents' faith was superficial, shallow, and nominal. And they grew up watching their parents belittle and underestimate God. I believe that's one of the primary reasons. Their parents' faith was shallow superficial, and nominal. And they watched as their parents just belittled and underestimated God throughout their life. It's not the only reason, of course. They have personal responsibility. All right? But it, it might not even be the biggest reason. But it is a huge one. And so what I'm saying is that on average, previous generations of professing Christian parents did not do a good job at training their children to see and savor the glory of God and live radical Christian lives. Instead, they were quiet about God at home, inconsistent in their Christian lifestyle. They were selfish and worldly. They lived for themselves. And they delegated their children's spiritual uh, growth to Sunday school teachers or youth group leaders or pastors who had significantly less time to spend with their kids, and they had much less influence on their kids. Aside from the Bible, even secular studies that are put out today show that parents have the greatest influence on their kids. And it's true. It's absolutely true. The spiritual immaturity and disobedience of previous generations has greatly influenced this generation of kids. That's true. It's biblical. It aligns with statistics and studies. And we see it happening around us. So I want to do one thing for you this morning. Just one simple thing. I want to help you see that no matter how old you are, 
no matter what you have done in your life and the mistakes that you have made or the failures that you have accumulated and you look back and feel guilty, no matter what you do, you can make a spiritual difference in the lives of children 125 years after you're dead. If you follow and trust God, there is some work that you need to do in order to make a difference that far in the future. And I want to help you um, leave a spiritual inheritance to the coming nations. I, I want you to pass something on that is good for the next generation to embrace. I want that for you because it's a great blessing. And so we're going to look at six helpful things from Psalm 78, and I want to challenge you to immediately apply these things to your life. There's no time for you not to take these six things and apply them directly to your life. you got to start. And if you haven't been doing them for the past whoever knows how long, then you need to start now. Here's the first one. Be teachable. Be teachable. Listen to how Asaph pleaded with the people. He said, Give ear, O my people, to my teaching. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings from of old, things that we have heard and known that our fathers have told us. So now Asaph is going to, to reiterate God's truth, which was passed down from fathers to their children. Asaph begged the people to listen. Can you hear the urgency in this song? He begged the people to listen, to be teachable. He, he didn't want the rebellion and the stubbornness of the past generations to continue to be passed down through the generations. He didn't want it to infiltrate the next generation, so he pleaded and he taught. Asaph spoke God's truth. People needed to remember it. He, he mentioned dark sayings of old or the ancient truths of God that needed to be explained. Truths that needed to be explained to the next generation, the coming generation. If you want to pass on a spiritual inheritance, you need spiritual wealth yourself to pass on. You need something to give. You must be teachable. You must be ready to study God's word and enjoy God before you can ever pass on an enduring spiritual legacy. It begins with you enjoying God. And if I may take a guess here, I think some of you would probably agree that you're not very teachable. You're not very teachable because you rarely study God's word on your own. You don't know it. You don't spend time in it. You'd probably agree with that. And so what we need to do, if that's the, the, the class that you're in, you need to be teachable by sitting in the classroom of the Holy Spirit with the textbook of the Bible open and a heart and a mind that is ready to learn and grow and love God more, and then you'll begin to pass on a spiritual legacy. Do you have a ravenous appetite for God's word that your kids and your grandkids can see in your life? Do they see your hunger for God? Can they tell that knowing God excites you more than anything else? Throughout the Psalms, especially in Psalm 119, you hear two words, teach me, teach me, teach me, teach me. Songs just, just crying out to God about being taught, 
through the word. And that teaching comes from God's word. The more transformed you are by scripture, the more you have to pass on to the next generation. Number two, never hide God's truth. Never hide God's truth. Asaph had made a commitment. Verse four, we will not hide them from their children. We will not. We are determined to never hide God's word from the next generation. Asaph was sounding a rally cry to never hide the truths of God from coming generations to, to, uh, to refuse to make them known. He was saying we will not. To keep them to ourselves, we will not. The knowledge of God is meant to be shared. We hide the truth with our ignorance. We hide the truth with our silence. We hide the truth with our spiritual apathy. We must mine the depths of God, expose and collect the gold, and pass it on for future generations to benefit from, to enjoy. we got to dig in, expose it, not hide it, expose it. If we love the future generations at all, we must not conceal God's word from them. For any reason, treasure is not meant to be buried. That's why people go looking for buried treasure. We must be very careful not to hide the treasure of God's word from the next generation. God's word is worth more to the next generation than all the wealth in the world. And so if you're thinking of passing on a monetary inheritance to your children, what about your spiritual inheritance, which makes way more difference? We must give them the wealth of God's word. We can't keep it to ourselves. Number three, this is one that has really challenged me. Amaze your family with God. Amaze them. Many young people are leaving the church. You might have seen the statistics. And many of them are leaving the church because their dad and mom belittled and underestimated God all their lives through their words, through their priorities, how they work their life, through lax morality and, and just, I don't really care about following God. We must be impressed by the wonder and glory and greatness of God, and then impress upon the next generation the wonder and glory and greatness of God. They'll never get it if they don't see it in us, passing it on to them. Asaph wrote in verse 4, We will not hide them from their children, but tell to the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and His might and the wonders that He has done. Now, if you think about this, film companies, they spend millions on trying to enthrall and wow people in the theaters. They're trying very hard to capture and captivate the next generation with special effects. And they're making a ton of money off of it. It's not even reality. It's illusion on the screen that is captivating them. And so my question is, if you think this through... Are, are you, are we working harder to portray the reality of the glory of God? Not illusion. Real glory. Are we working hard to pass that on to show our kids and our grandkids so that they're more fascinated with God than they're fascinated with film 
or music or culture or art or anything? Are we working harder than the movie companies and the marketing companies and every other company that wants the pocket of our young people? We've got to want the heart of the young people and want it more and do more to show them the glory of God. How you tell the coming generation about God makes a difference. We can't just tell them a little things. We've got to reveal the glory and majesty of God for them. You must teach the Bible with accuracy and all. Accuracy and all. They must experience God's glory through your words, getting a taste of it. We must inspire wonder in the coming generation through stories of God's glorious deeds, what he has done, how amazing he is. We must tell them why God is awesome. We must blow their minds by explaining the might of God, his strength, his invincibility and unlimited power. We must tell them why God is better than Batman and Superman and Spider-Man and any man. We must wow the coming generation with the astonishing accomplishments of God, creation, salvation, provision, glorification. We must help them marvel at the wonders God has done. And you know, we just won't do this if we're not passionate students of Scripture. If we can't see the glory of God ourselves. Your telling must be knowledgeable, and passionate, coming from the heart. We can't afford to paint a dim and dull view of God because God is awesome and future generations are too precious and we want them to see the awesomeness of God. Something will capture the wonder of the next generation. What are we doing to ensure that it is Christ? We must lead them to the foot of Mount Everest to lay down their electric screens and the earbuds and marvel at the grandeur and supremacy of Jesus Christ. So God is calling you to do more than go to church. That's not the ultimate call in your life. When the glory of God captures you, you will leave a spiritual inheritance to the next generation. So do today what will make a spiritual difference 125 years after you're dead. Work on those things. Number four, teach your kids to be generational teachers. Teach your kids to be generational teachers. Listen to this quote carefully. Give a man a fish and you feed him for a day. Teach a man to fish and you feed him for a lifetime. Teach a man to teach his son to fish and you feed generations. Life is busy. We need to slow down. We need to think beyond our life. We need to think beyond the life of our child. We need to think generationally. We need to think 125 years out. Please listen closely to this. We need to not only tell our children about God, but teach them how to tell their children about God. There's a, there's a difference. From the time they are born, our kids need to hear that we are training them to be men and women of God and to grow up to train their kids to be men and women of God, to train their kids 
to train their kids, to train their kids to grow up to be men and women of God. We need a bigger vision than just looking at ourselves and what we get out of church or what we are or what our problems are. Soccer, grades, dance, scholarships, activities, they're important, but they're not eternal. They're not eternal. You can't take them with you. We must always prioritize the eternal over the important. Asaph wrote, The Lord established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers to teach to their children that the next generation might know them, the children yet unborn, and arise and tell them to their children. You see, Asaph was thinking of the coming generations. He was thinking beyond himself and his own generation. He was thinking about the children of the children yet unborn. He was giving a strategy for teaching kids to be generational teachers. First, it was the Lord who established a testimony and appointed a law for his people. God lovingly gave Israel the truth. Second, God commanded fathers to teach God's testimony and law to their children. Why? So that the next generation would know them, the children yet unborn, and that they would rise up and that they would tell them to their children and so forth. It's, it's teaching kids to be generational teachers. So fathers, if you're a father, just please listen to this. Do your children know the Bible because you're teaching them? Do your children know the Bible because you are teaching them at home? Are you teaching them how to teach their children the Bible? Are they equipped with the tools? Have you done that, fathers? Given that uh, uh, long-term gift that keeps giving to generations beyond you, have you done that? God commands us fathers to do this, and so much would change. See, if you don't agree this, with this, so much would change in our culture and society if fathers simply obeyed Psalm 78, 1 through 8. We would see so many problems disappear. Not that the problems wouldn't be there. Of course they would. We're all sinners. We're going to mess up. The next generation is going to mess up. But a lot of that would be minimized if fathers did their job. 90% of all homeless and runaway children are from fatherless homes. 85% of all children who show behavior disorders come from fatherless homes. 80% of rapists with anger problems come from fatherless homes. Imagine the cultural shift that would happen in America if we had dads who were honoring Psalm 78. Teaching, passing on to the next generation, passionately uh, looking beyond their kids to 125 years beyond their own death. Imagine the cultural shift if these dads would not only stay around, would not only teach their kids, but would teach their kids in a way to teach their kids and to show them the glory of God. Imagine the cultural shift. We don't want to give the next generation a fish or even teach them how to fish. We want to teach them how to teach their kids how to fish. So the game plan is simple. We must diligently teach God's word to the next generation and inspire them to marvel at the greatness of God. That's our game plan. 
That's what we fall back on. That's what we're supposed to do. Number five, teach with clear purpose. I saw this uh, comic this week of a businessman and a woman standing in an office right by a sign that said this. Why are we doing this? Right by the sign. Why are we doing this? The man is pictured telling the businesswoman, it's not a great mission statement, but we'll revise if things get better. I thought that was interesting. The business, they have no idea why they're doing what they're doing. Um, so it's easy to say yes to something, to commit to something. Yeah, I, I think that we should do that. But then in the middle of the process, after you've said yes, then you forget, why is it that we're doing this again? What, how did we ever get here? What is the purpose? So it's very easy in life to lose purpose. We can't just teach the next generation, throw facts at them. We need to teach with the end in mind. What are we trying to accomplish as we teach the next generation? We need to know what we're teaching and what we're trying to accomplish. Asaph said in verse 7, so that they should set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments. We should have three goals in teaching and training the next generation. Number one, that they set their hope in God. Number two, that they never, ever, ever forget the works of God. And number three, that they keep God's commandments, that they obey. We want future generations to hope in God, don't you? For the benefit of those generations. Why? Well, listen to what generations will become if they hope in God. This is what Jeremiah 17, 7 says. And if you're a parent of a child of any age, I want you to hear this and say, what if my child is this? Or what if we raised up the next generation to be this? Just listen to this, uh, this verse, these verses, 7 and 8, Jeremiah 17. Blessed, or you could say happy, is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust, or you could say hope, is the Lord. He is like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots by the stream and does not fear when heat comes, for its leaves remain green and is not anxious in the year of drought, for it does not cease to bear fruit. We want the generations to be a strong and tall and immovable oak that's by this beautiful stream and they're bearing fruit and they're they're strong, not to be blown over by the winds of life. We want future generations to hope in God so they develop deep spiritual roots as strong and tall trees that bear abundant fruit. We want that for kids more than anything else. Do you? It, when I look at my children, I want nothing more than for them to grow into spiritual giants, to be ready to give their life for Christ. We don't want our kids to hope in riches, right? Riches are fleeting. God is forever. And so at this time, I'd like to invite uh, Caleb Nichols, if he's, if he's ready, it's kind of cold up here, to come up and to share a little testimony with us. And I, yeah, let's have you use this here, Caleb. We don't want them to hope and risk. Why don't you come over here, buddy, if you would. Do you want to set that down or just hold it? I'm going to come over here. Yeah. You want me just to hold this for you? And then you say it? Okay. I'm going to put it close to your mouth because we wanted to. Go ahead. Hello, my name is Caleb. The Exeter helps poor people 
people with needs and widows. We call it the egg salad because we have chickens and we sell their eggs. We take the money and help others. Each month, part of my money goes to a place that can help people from everywhere, like in other countries and places near us. Now our egg seller is giving to, giving to the widows. I want to give to others because if we keep all the money, we will have too much money. We will only think about our money and not about God and others. A verse I like is love your neighbor as yourself. Very good. Very good. An egg seller business from a little entrepreneur who's gathering money from selling eggs and giving it to people who have need. Because if he keeps the money, he'll have too much money. Now, that is what I'm talking about of training the next generation to not hope in riches, but to hope in God. Because the riches are just, they're here for a moment and gone the next. God is forever. We have to hope, train our little children to be getting it like Caleb gets it. Next generation, hope in God. Paul told Timothy to challenge the rich not to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches. It's uncertain. It's going to fail you. You know it will. But to set their hope on God never fails. We teach our kids the Bible so future generations like Caleb's generation and Caleb's kids and Caleb's grandkids can see the rationale and can see the wisdom and can see the insight in hoping in God and not what the world has to offer. We need to tell the coming generations the story of God so they never forget the works of God. It's too easy to forget what God has done. Forgetfulness plagues us. We get distracted. We forget. We look at the flashy things of the world. Ooh, neat and pretty. And we miss the fact that God has accomplished some amazing things. Deuteronomy 4 verse 9 warns against this. This is what it says. Only take care and keep your soul diligently, lest you forget the things that your eyes have seen, and lest they depart from your heart all the days of your life. Make them known to your children and your children's children. If you're a grandparent, you're not done yet. You're still in the game. Are you faithful? We teach the coming generation so that the mind-boggling works of God are never forgotten and God is eternally enjoyed. Forgetting the works of God, it's like dying in poverty because, oh, you forgot that you had $20 trillion in the bank that you failed to tap into. We need to tell the coming generations the story of God so they keep God's commandments, so that they obey we want our kids and grandkids to obey God. That should be the number one desire of our heart. Because obedience to God will bring them their greatest joy and blessing more than anything else they could ever experience in this world and more than anything else you could ever give them from this world. Which do you want most for your descendants? Opportunity, money, or obedience to God? Which do you think will yield them the greatest blessing in the long run? God said to Moses in Deuteronomy 5.29, Oh, that they had such a mind as this always to fear me and to keep all my commandments that it might go well with them and with their descendants forever. 
Your obedience to God can be a blessing to your descendants forever. Think about that. Your obedience. Your money can't do that. Your obedience, your heart for Christ can. Our goal in life is to help our families do three simple things. Hope in God, never forget the incredible works of God, and to obey God. Everything you do for your family should be unto that end. Everything should wrap around that vision. Number six, and the last one, stop generational unfaithfulness with your faithfulness. Stop generational unfaithfulness with your faithfulness. Maybe your parents and grandparents were unfaithful to you and to God. I don't know all of your stories, but perhaps that's your story. You don't have to pass that unfaithfulness on. You don't have to continue it. You can make a generational change with your faithfulness to God. Faithfulness can overcome unfaithfulness. Listen to how Asaph talked about the former generation. And that they should not be like their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation whose heart was not steadfast, whose spirit was not faithful to God. Maybe your father was stubborn and rebellious. Maybe he didn't. He wasn't faithful to you, maybe to your mom, maybe to your entire family. Maybe the generations that preceded you did not have steadfast hearts and faithful spirits. Maybe you came from a religious family, but a family that didn't actually love God. Remember, Asaph was talking to Israel, a very religious people, a people who had privilege coming from God, and Asaph is talking to them. And they were uncommitted and spiritually calloused people, and a lot of religious people in America are that way today. If previous generations have passed down unfaithfulness to you, that's what's in your family, then you know the pain of it. You know the impact. You know what a difference that has made in your life. So you should be motivated to never, ever, ever pass that on to the next generation. You need to make some changes. You can overcome the unfaithfulness of your past by charting a new course of faithfulness to God. And I, and I want to make sure to, to say this loud and clear so that you don't misunderstand what I'm saying and what God's Word is saying. It is only the sovereign grace of God that saves and preserves generations. Only the grace of God. You could be faithful to do everything just right as a, as a parent and your child could still reject Christ. That's the reality of it. You cannot save future generations. We cannot save future generations. Only Christ can save future generations. But it is usual or natural or typical for God to work His amazing grace through your faithfulness to Christ to produce generational faithfulness. God must do it, but we must understand that we play a vital role in that and God uses us as the means in which He accomplishes His ends. Jesus said that He was the light of the world, but then He also said that His disciples were the light of the world. God will use us to reach generations if we're faithful to Him. When you read Psalm 78, 1 through 8, you're impressed with this idea of speech and words and teaching. If we are content to just live a generally moral life, 
then we will fail the coming generations. We need to tell them the story of God. We need to articulate it in an exciting way, expressing through words, grabbing their attention with spoken truth, pulling on their heart by telling God's redemptive story so that they can hope in God and that they can know His Word and experience His joy forever. Silence is not an option for faithful Christians. Silence is not an option for faithful Christians. The coming generations need us to say something significant, to give them a reason for faith, to tell them of God's glory and greatness. Do you want to make a spiritual difference 125 years after you're dead? Then make sure the children yet unborn hear about God. Make sure they hear about God's redemptive story. Amaze your family with God. Be teachable. Never hide God's truth. Amaze your family with God. Teach your kids to be generational teachers. Teach with clear purpose. And stop generational unfaithfulness with your faithfulness. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your grace. Thank you for your mercy, for giving us the truth, for uh, helping us to uh, delight in texts like Psalm 78. And I pray, God, that you will lead us to reach the next generation for Christ. And I pray that this coming, uh, this coming year can be a great year for Jerusalem Church where we see many kids uh, grow in their faith and be encouraged in the Lord. And uh, God, we need your grace to do it. And so we need you and your Holy Spirit to motivate people to want to get involved. And we need you to motivate parents to want to teach and lead their children and to prioritize Christ and knowing God and teaching the Bible above sports and clubs and school and all the rest. So God, help us to be faithful with this and to go to work. All for the glory of Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen.